all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Good morning. This is Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're talking about raising your children colorblind, raising children to be unbiased and accepting, judging people for who they are, or maybe just learning to accept people as they are. Have you ever wondered what this world would be like if we only saw people for who they are and not what they look like? So that colorblind idea, the ability to see people as they are, not what they look like is what I want to talk to talk about today. And today I'm delighted to have a special guest with us, Mike Duke, who is Director of Radio Reading Service here at MPB, and he's been here at MPB for 33 years. So welcome, Mike. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. I think everybody recognizes your voice. It's so well known, and I want to thank you, too, for a program that you have run that has been such an incredible benefit to those who are visually impaired in our state and surrounding states. Um, so thank you for that, Mike. Uh, right. We all appreciate you so very much. It's a privilege to okay. do that. And of course, I meet various people of all walks of life by doing that. So I know you do. And, and I, you know, you and I have walked the hallways of MPB for several years now, and I'll say hello. But I'm really excited to be able to talk to you about this particular topic. Um, I want to explain to our listeners today, though, why you're here, Mike, um, with us to discuss how we judge people often by the way they look rather than the way they are. Um, Mike has been visually impaired since birth. Um, he's never been able to, quote, see in the traditional way that we see with our eyes. And when Michelle McAdoo, my producer, and I were um, talking about doing a show and raising children to judge people by who they are, not what they look like, we thought how wonderful it would be to talk to Mike. We thought that in this particular case that uh, visual impairment could actually maybe be an advantage. Um, 
So here are a couple of questions I wanted to throw out there. Why are people who are black or brown or white put in the same category by some? Why do we seem to place such import on skin color? Maybe if we couldn't see um, color, things would be different. So, Mike, I know you have some insight into that. Um, and I have so many questions to ask you, and you've got some great stories for us. Um, I want to also invite listeners as we're moving along, please give us a call. Feel free to to call in, jump in, whether you're visually impaired or not. Um, we want to hear from you. Uh, we want to hear from you about what you have done to try to raise your family in an unbiased way. Do you feel like you've had some stumbles or mistakes? Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Before we go on, Michelle and I both wanted to make sure our listeners um, understand that, that this is not to try to push aside Black Lives Matter, of course, Black Lives Matter, and, and we believe in the movement. This is, this is only to, to point out maybe we wouldn't have to be saying that if we did things differently. So it does seem like race has been a central um, relationship sometimes. And, you know, yes, every one of us are of the human race, but we still have such racism. So there's at least one thing that we can agree upon um, is that many times when you look at someone, you may judge them by the color of their skin. So I want to go over quickly an article that was published um in Scientific America, but it was a summary of um, a, a book uh, by a, a writer, a sociologist, legal expert, Osaji Obasoji. And it was published in Stanford University Press back um, seven years ago. So this isn't new stuff, but it was, it's, the book is called Blinded by Sight. Seeing Race Through the Eyes of the Blind. And what this author did was he interviewed 100 individuals who were blind. Um, and basically his study that he did said that blind people can be racist too. Uh, what stood out in particular was not only that those with blindness had a visual understanding of race, but that this visual understanding shaped how they live their lives, who they choose to be with, what they experience, what kind of interactions they have, how they live. And, and I found that, that very interesting, Mike. And I think I, I'd love for you to jump in and, and comment here because the, the data that he presented um, sort of debunked what Michelle and I were thinking that that maybe if you're blind and you don't see color that you you 
don't judge. But but I think you have some stories that you can tell us that even though you had fabulous parents who were clearly um, open and kind, you still had some issues that went on around you, right? Right. And, you know, the, the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil uh, fairy tale that some right. of us grew up with is exactly that. It's a fairy tale. Prejudice is learned behavior. And, uh, you know, anybody who learns can learn it. Right. And, and fortunately, yeah. anybody who works hard enough can can unlearn it, if that's a word. But uh, the, the article that you just quoted, I uh, just cited, I had a chance to read that yesterday, and it is spot on. I haven't read the book that he cites, but the, the article that uh, you mentioned is absolutely correct. A person learns to be uh, these associations. Uh, if you see, it's a little more powerful because the sense of vision in a human is, more, is much more powerful than, than some of the other senses. And so you get that immediate feedback first from the eyes. Well, my eyes don't work. And uh, so I get the feedback through sound and, and other senses. That, that, uh, that doesn't mean my sense of hearing and sense of this or that are better than yours. It just means I use them a different way. But uh, I have in the past uh, made made some of those cultural blunders. Well, made one at I, a very I early think, age, you know, that we can talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um, Mike, I think that um, one thing that I want to you to tell us about you said you made some blunders i i guess we all do but talk to us about maybe when you first understood that there might be uh, a difference in the way people looked yeah. and the way people judged them um go back to that story if you would um of when you were five and you heard the n-word for the first time if you will I was five years old, and I uh, had, and I don't know that it was the first time I'd heard it, but I I was down the street at someone else's house, and uh, something happened, and they said uh, something and used that word, and I came back to our house, to my house. There was a lady there helping mother with things, and I had known this lady ever since I'd known my own mother. She had this wonderful musical voice that I could listen to all day. It was very pleasant, very kind. She was very pleasant and very kind, but she talked different from us. She didn't sound like my mother. She didn't sound like my grandmother. She had her own way of talking, but I, you know, I really enjoyed listening to her voice. Well, I had been down there and being the little pitcher with big ears and an open mouth, I came home and I parroted what I had heard down the street, which included that word. My mother immediately tried to hush me up and, and was about to give me the, a severe scolding. And this lady said, wait a minute, he doesn't know. He doesn't mm -hmm. know that that's what some people call me. And then she said to me, that's why I talk like I talk. And that was the first time I connected those dots, as it were. And at the mm -hmm. same time, because of her kindness, I mean, she could have jumped in and scolded me, you know, and, and mother would have backed her up. But because of that kindness, I somehow understood immediately that, okay, people may call her that, but that's really not a nice thing for them to do because right. this is, this is a nice lady. And I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say things that aren't nice to this person. I have no reason to. 
And that was the first time I sort of understood, uh, had that, you know, light bulb on coming on moment or that there was a difference between me and this lady that came to our house to, uh, you know, regularly, not every day, but regularly to, to help mother do things while mother was trying to, to raise this blind child and keep him out of mischief. Right. Right. Which was probably pretty terrifying. Mother, keeping you safe and and making sure that that you were exposed to the the things that she wanted you exposed to. So and that's tough for every parent. And and even when you are in your own home and exposing your children to the things that you think are right and good and just, um, there are still exposures like happened to you. Um, from outside your home. I know we need to take our first break, but when we come back, Mike, I want you to talk a bit about your experience at the School for the Blind and the Deaf um, that was segregated back when you grew up um, in, the, in the 60s in school. And so I think it. I want us all to think about how our lives are shaped and how how our biases are placed as we move along. So when we come back, we'll talk more with Mike Duke, who is here with us. Um, he runs the radio reading service. We're very excited to have him. And we're talking about how to raise children who are accepting and unbiased and essentially colorblind. Um, give us a call. Join in the conversation at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Some of you young folks been saying to me, Hey, Pops, what you mean, what a wonderful world? How about all them walls all over the place? You call them wonderful? 
And how about hunger and pollution? They ain't so wonderful either. But how about listening to old Pops for a minute? Seems to me it ain't the world that's so bad, but what we are doing to it. And all I'm saying is see what a wonderful world it would be if only we'd give it a chance. Love, baby, love. That's the secret. Yeah. It's not so much Welcome back. Love Isn't that the truth? Love, baby, love. That's a secret. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and here with Mike Duke and our producer, Michelle McAdoo, we're talking today about um, acceptance, um, allowing differences and understanding that differences are are good. And what can we do to make sure that we raise our children to be the kind of accepting, loving people that we we hope our world will end up with? Um, That should be our legacy. We'd love for you to join in the conversation at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I would love to hear what you think your parents did right as far as raising you to be that colorblind person, a person who accepts people for their inside, their goodness, or their badness, rather than their outside and making those judgment calls. And and, and we're talking today with Mike Duke, who was blind from birth, who uh, about the outside influences. And it's not all about just visually on that visual cortex in your brain, seeing color, but how people categorize and differentiate people. And even if you are. Uh, sightless, that you still can be raised in a biased situation or influenced and a biased uh, to be a biased person. So, um, Mike, again, before the break, I said I wanted you to talk um, to us a little bit about, again, early in your life, your experience at the School for the Blind and Deaf here in, in Jackson, Mississippi, if you will. Right. Uh, let me back up and say that the you know one of the things that my parents tried to do for me and for my older brother and sister who were not blind uh, was to teach us to respect other people, right. uh, not other people, not people except those who were or are, but other people. You know, the sentence ended with other people, and and so that was a big influence on me. Uh, obviously, after you know the, the incident that I told you about a while ago. Then I had this audible indicator that I could associate uh, with somebody being different by the way they sounded. And mm-hmm. and that can sometimes be as powerful as, as being able to look at someone and know that they're that you know that they're a different race. But right. uh, as I say, it you learn to to move beyond that if you're fortunate and if you try to work at being a good human being. I began school at the Mississippi School for the Blind in 1960. At that time, there were uh, two campuses. Uh, I was on the campus that was torn down a few years ago and became the district at Eastover. Uh, And that's where the white students were, and the black students were at a campus across town. 
And uh, so I was, I went through all 12 years of school in this segregated uh, environment mm-hmm. where the only people of color that were with us were staff people uh, who were mostly the uh, kitchen help and the janitorial staff. Uh, I would learn their names, but I would learn their first name. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever said, this is Mr. Smith or this is Ms. Jones, you know, it was this is Ben or this is Sally. Whereas with the other faculty and staff, it was this is Mrs. Brown and this is Mr. Smith or, or you know, and their first name was Mrs. or Mr. And uh, the only way we'd find out usually what the last name of some of the uh, the black employees were would, would be to ask that employee, what's your mm-hmm. last name? Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes, Correct. you know, they'd tell us usually, but sometimes they were hesitant even to, you know, and I, yeah. I called one of them Mr. Something, you know, whatever, one time. And and he, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not used to that, you know. <laughs> so, see, very early on, that kind of demarcation that that apparently made, made these adults seem perhaps less important or lesser than. Less. And so, again, um, without even seeing... Um, people were trying to influence you there. Right. Um, and, and I, don't, I Michael, don't think in many cases they even realized that that's what they were doing. You know, some cases I'm sure they did know, but but I don't think in some cases I think it was just that that was the way they'd always done it. And they didn't think about whether they were influencing me or not. Right. We have a caller. We have Will from Columbus. So let's bring our first caller in. Hi, Will. Thanks for calling. Well, I'm so, so happy to call. Uh, I, I, w- I wanted to tell you that this is a very important conversation. Like your guest, I grew up, uh, I was born in 1950, so I grew up during the segregated period of, of Mississippi, and I'm, I'm African-American. And and I understand how it, mu- much of what was done wasn't done through actual visual. It was, you know, newspapers did not write stories about African-Americans, their weddings, their events. They were not mentioned at all. That was part of making yeah, that was part of making them making them the other, something different mm-hmm. than. And and was all the segregated schools and everything else. And we've just really started coming to grip with with this in the nineteen seventies. And and I think it's so wonderful of you to have this conversation. I know it's awkward for some people to hear and and and, and, and speak of, but I think you're doing something very valuable by just discussing it in a way that's civil, kind, and understanding. So thank you. And, Will, you probably remember a time when the newspapers would identify, uh, you know, uh, they would when they identified a person of color, you know, they would say uh, a Negro was, you know, arrested or did so-and-so, and it would be identified as, as a Negro right. in, in print, in journalism. Not just yeah. in newspaper, but in but, in in the media. Yeah, and and, and nothing was written about African Americans that was just generally speaking that was that was that was that good, was positive. right? Yeah, right. Just generally, right. Just the, um, anyway, so thank you so much. You are so welcome, and Will, thank you for calling. And, um, and thanks I, for I, listening. I would love to hear from others also about their their thoughts their feelings and um and kind of where you were um at the time or where you are now with this issue and how you're trying to deal with it i think so many of us you know um 
people often say, um, I'm not a racist. I am not a racist. But then sometimes actions are um, not always proving that. And some of those very simple um, omissions, like you mentioned, are well mentioned, where good stuff's not published or um, people are not included. Um, and as we move along, we'll talk a little more, too, about friend groups, people who say um, that that they are open-minded but have a very homogeneous, all the same group of friends perhaps are not being uh, the kind of pattern they need to be. Um, if your children never see you associate with people of color, um, why is that? Um, what what is the reason for that? And and the same thing for the African American population. Um, you don't want your friend group to be homogeneous. I'm just going to say this. Um, you want to make sure that that you have a diverse group of friends so that your children will see that it's okay and you should be accepting and you should feel a part. Um, I know I'm kind of bringing up, like Will said, some tough issues, but if we don't address them, things will never change. So jump in here at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to take our next break, and when we come back, I know Mike has another story for us I'd love to hear. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we'll be right back. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I 
Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today I'm here with Mike Duke from the Radio Reading Service here at MPB, and we're talking about raising children to be colorblind, learning how ourselves, even if in the past perhaps we had some periods in our life when we were not trying to judge people by who they are, not the color they are or the ethnicity in which they are belong. Um, so I want us to go on to the phones. I know Mike has several um, stories for us, and I so enjoy them, Mike. I think you're painting a good picture for us right now. But let's first bring in, we have James. Where are you from? Water Valley. Water Valley. Okay. Yes. Hi, James. Thanks for calling. Well, the, the conversation you had uh, a few minutes ago with uh, a guy talking about uh, the, the way people addressed each other reminds me of when I was about 16 years old, I was visiting with uh, some of my cousins. Uh, one was my age and one was a couple years older. And uh, we were out on the tree somewhere in the yard uh, and were talking with a couple of friends, uh, black friends, uh, teenagers also. And uh, my older cousin was, I don't know, 18 or 19 maybe by then. But we got to talking about when they would have to start calling him Mr. We'd grown up together, known each other, you know, since we were wow. five, six years old, playing and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, just five or six teenagers just out sitting under the tree talking about that with no animosity or anything, but it was just uh, discussing about uh, when it would be proper for them to start referring to the older one of us uh, by the, the title of Mr. And uh, it was just, you know, they just said, that's just the way it was. That's, uh, they yeah. would do that eventually, and so, but it was uh, uh well, you know, it wasn't any uh, 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 anything that bothered anybody. It seemed like that was just that was just the nature of, of, of the game, and that's how we played it. But uh, yeah, it's so, what you were taught. Yeah, it yeah, was it right. was the nature of the way things were back then, and even though you cared about each other, and apparently. Uh, associated with each other, then all of a the sudden there would be this demarcation. Isn't that something? Did y'all come to a conclusion? I'm curious. Uh, well, uh, no, because actually, uh, you know, he was already 19 years old, I think, and uh, that was the usual thing. But, you know, we just had called each other by our first names, you know, ever since we first knew each other. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, it, it just, uh, I guess, didn't want to uh, uh, to, to break break the mold, break that relationship yet, right. uh, yeah. you know, uh, hang on to what we, uh, what we knew and what we enjoyed. People uh, were watching we you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, no, I think later that year, that same year was, uh, the year that the, uh, uh, Brown versus Board of Education, uh, ruling came out, uh, <clears throat> uh when the, the, the court started its, uh, fall term. And uh, I remember going to a meeting at the courthouse uh, uh, in, in Yellowbush mm -hmm. County to, to organize a citizens council. We didn't refer to it as a white citizens council. It was just a citizens council, but everybody there was white. And uh, it was how to uh, uh, maintain our schools as we had known them you know, ever since we had uh, been in school. 
And uh, yeah. even though I think I was only 16 at the time, I, I, I went to that. And uh, it seemed like the proper thing for me to do to uh, protect my way of life. <laughs> but uh, I think how that changed when I was 32 years old or, or something like that. And uh, I, uh, uh, I saw that uh, the schools in, uh, uh, in Water Valley were probably going to integrate that year. And the, uh, the the black school had a habit of giving the uh, this, uh, PTA gave the uh, valedictorian a, a scholarship, and they decided that year that they would uh, probably give all the money in the PTA treasury to the valedictorian uh, because they may not exist as they were at the time uh, in the fall when school started back. Yeah, so things were I, so, uh, so very different then. Um, and, yeah, I I guess the point is, and it, it sounds like you had, you have some regrets about the way things were back then. I tried to do something about it in that uh, I, I thought that my alma mater, Ole Miss was better than uh, any of the uh, the black state-supported schools in Mississippi at the time, and I made uh, a pledge to uh, the, the the black school PTA that if the recipient that year would go to Ole Miss, I would match the scholarship that they were giving to the valedictorian. And wow. They accepted, and she accepted and did, and, and I, I complied with that, and she uh, uh, eventually went to, uh, to Ole Miss and, and graduated. So uh, that was uh, my way of trying to, to get the best value, what I thought was the best value for the money that they were going to spend. Yeah. And then what a wonderful thing you did, James. That is um, – that's – Amazing. And and at the time, so do you still stay in touch with that young woman who went to Ole Miss? I uh, actually I haven't seen her. I've I read some stuff about it, and I talked to uh, one of her classmates, uh, high school classmates, who now lives in Atlanta, but I, uh, mm-hmm. but I have not seen uh, her. I, but I've just read some of the things that she has done. Mm-hmm. And stuff. Mm-hmm. So, It'd be good to get in touch with her. I would love to continue to talk to you, James. We have, um, though, a few callers that I want to make sure we get to. So if other people would reach out and do what the kind of thing that James did, what a different world this would be, huh, Mike? Right, exactly. I mean, that that was a bold step on his part uh, to to do what he did and then to tell about it this many years later was really a, a, a great thing for him to do because it certainly was not fashionable in those days. Absolutely not. Okay, let's jump over to Olivia and Quitman. Olivia, thanks for being patient with us, and thanks for calling. How are you all doing? Doing great, thanks. I just had a comment, uh, really, I guess, in a question, maybe, I don't know, but my son was born in Massachusetts, and uh, when we moved here to Mississippi, my son didn't know color. He had never known that some I was black or some I was white, so we didn't teach it, uh, mainly because of the uh, community we was in in Massachusetts, everybody was white or French or uh, whatever, so it just didn't, mm-hmm. it just never came up. So anyway, in about the second grade here in Mississippi, uh, he had a good friend, and we moved him, him and a guy, was a white guy, and immediately became great friends, and he stayed at his house, and he would stay at our home. 
So I came home one day, and this young man was a uh, little boy, was in the front plan, and my son was in the back plan. And I thought that was odd. So I went to the young man. I said, why are you in the front? Where's my son? He said, he's in the back. He won't play with me. So I went back and asked my son, I said, why are you not playing with this young man? And he said, my teacher told me he was white, and I didn't need to play with him. That white and black don't play together. You had done the right thing, and you had raised your son so that he did not see color, yet outside influences came in, right? Right. Right. And the thing about what bothered me was a teacher. And it was a white teacher. It wasn't a black teacher. Mm. You know, and, and told him that, you know, he shouldn't, they, that they don't supposed to play together. And they don't supposed to be friends. And, and, and I mean, he has a white friend. Mm-hmm. I, my best friends are white. But, I mean, you know, but it's just the fact that somebody would just put that in his mind that I, you know, had the compliment say to him, you don't see color. You see a person. Marcus Olivia. What did you say to your son at the time? Can you remember? I'm sure you were livid, but how did you respond to him? Well, I didn't respond to him that day. All I want to do was get to the teacher. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. But I think you're pointing out how adults um, influence children and shape them to be, unfortunately, um, sometimes... Um, more biased and then and and exclusive, and we've got to change that. Yes, so, it needs to be changed. And if teachers, you know, would not do it in the classroom, and the thing about it, I feel they're still doing it in the classroom. Uh, then it won't be so uh, the way it is. Right. Well, I would love to hear if we have some teachers who who work hard to teach that differently. We have some open lines. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Let's stay on the phone. We have um, Tony from Terry next. Hi, Tony. Thanks for calling. How you all doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Tony, for calling. I'm an African-American. Uh, thing is, my parents, whenever they, they express things or in the nature of that, they never showed it around the kids because a lot of parents don't realize kids are watching and kids mimic their parents. And you get mad and say something you're not supposed to say, that's the smallest thing kids remember. And I'm not from Mississippi, but I moved here. But I remember my because my parents came back here. I remember my uncle telling me as a kid, he used to play with white kids. And he said, when he turned 13, the white kid, the guy he played with, said he had to call him Mr. Now. He said, at that age, it was like understood because people passed it along. And he had to call him, start calling him Mr. by Mr. in his last name. And that thing, and I know about his thing in, in reference to Mississippi. Mississippi likes to hold on to hold on to history or what they consider history. And it seems like Mississippi is always the last to do everything. They're always on the wrong side of history. And mm. it's like people just like to hold on to stuff that they feel like that means a lot to them. And it, it is sad that because of that, it's always like, say, when I moved to Mississippi, I retired from the military and moved to Mississippi seven years ago. I feel like Mississippi was one of the best kept secrets in the world. I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, in the world, I'm like, wow. It's not because being uh, in the military and Coming through Mississippi, people used to always have these little, little bad remarks toward Mississippi. Things like, in your mind, like, people to... Tony, you're breaking up. Um, I I just want to point out a couple of things that you said uh, real quickly. Um, one, uh, 
you're right. There are a lot of people who hold on to history. History is important. We learn from history. We we learn to be better people from history. Um, we we did make a change. You know, our flag is changing. Um, a lot of people were worried that history will go away. It won't. History's still there. History is the past. We need to move forward to the present. So I do think Mississippi is a wonderfully kept secret in so many ways, and we have awesome people here. And what we need to do is learn from past history, move forward, and make us a future. Um, so, Tony, I, I hope that your opinion um, has not changed too much. Um, we're going to take our final break, and when we come back, we have Frank from Brandon, and I believe we have another caller waiting. Give us a call, though. You can join in at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're talking about raising your children to be colorblind, open, and accepting to all. Judge people by who they are. This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back. Wake up all the teachers, time to teach a new way. Maybe then they'll listen to what you have to say. They're the ones who's coming up, and the world is in their hands. When you teach the children to jump the very best can. Just let it be. The world won't get no better. We gotta change it now. Just you and me. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, Call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Mike Duke, our head of radio reading service. And we are talking about raising children to be colorblind, um, to, to see below the surface of everyone, to see who they are. All right. We've got several callers. We want to get right back to the phones pretty quickly. We have Frank from Brandon. Hi, Frank. Thanks for calling. Yeah. I just wanted to say that down in this part of the country, we've been cutting off our noses to spite our faces ever since the Civil War ended and way before then. We just don't seem to be able to get ourselves away from it. Uh, I don't understand myself. I don't know. It's just frustrating is all. Uh, it, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. To, 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 yeah. To, differentiate among by skin color 
that is the least important attribute. And, and, and to, to, to treat people differently because of their skin color just makes absolutely no sense to me. My father told me, I remember this, he was a smart man. He had his own, he had his faults, of course, but you need to judge a man by the content of his character, not the color of his skin. You can't tell anything about a man from the color of his skin. Isn't that the truth? I think that is the absolute truth. And Mike, I think um, you probably better than anybody can comment on this. Um, can you just give us in a minute, I know we've got other callers I want to get to, but how do you judge people? How do you, what makes you judge people? Well, I try not to, but... Uh, well, there, but, that but, word is you bad, know, yes. the, uh, <laughs> um, As I said, I get, you know, impressions by the sound of the voice. Uh, if I stand close enough to you, uh, I know whether you're short or tall or, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and those are the first impressions I get. And sometimes I get a handshake. I can't tell what race you are by your handshake. Some people in my past have have asked me if I could, and the answer is no, I can't. And I don't think anyone can. Uh, real quickly, one one school for the blind story uh, from uh, the, the lady from Quitman reminded me of, I was in the fifth grade. This was 1964, 65, when things were just really heating up in Mississippi with the civil rights uh, movement and so forth. I don't know what prompted it, but I remember one day saying black people can't, and I don't remember what I said they can't, but Anyway, I had this teacher in the fifth grade who would have made a great hellfire and brimstone preacher because, you, you know, she figured if she could yell loud enough and long enough, it would soak in. Well, that time she heard me say that and she said, has anybody ever said to you blind people can't or blind people don't? And I said, yes, ma'am. Wow. How do you like yeah. that? She said. And I said, I don't. And she didn't say another word. But right. her, her silence spoke louder than any word she could have thrown at me. Louder than anything. Yeah. Wonderful. Great story and great lesson. Um, I think we have time to get to Nicole from Petal, don't we, Michelle? Let's try to catch her. Hi, Nicole. Hey. Hello. Um, I've been listening to your program, and I just wanted to comment. While I absolutely agree that we need to judge people by the content of their character and who they are, I think we run into a danger when we try to teach or embrace this concept of colorblindness. I'm a parent and I'm a teacher, and I think that the reality is there are differences sometimes between black and white people. We have different histories in this country, and part that history and the strife in that history, we see so many problems still today because we haven't adequately dealt with that. And I think when we try to push this color we see things like, I mean, I think that that's part of the reason why African-American history is so often lost in our social studies classrooms. It's, they're taught from this Eurocentric narrative. Um, we, aren't, we don't teach as much black history, I think, as we should. And I think it's because we just want to think, well, we're all the same and we just need to not see color. And that's the solution when it's okay to see color. Um, what's not okay is to negatively judge somebody or stereotype somebody based on that color. Oh, Nicole, that is actually very well said. And thank you exactly for that. And if we had had time and my summary, um, that's exactly the point we're trying to make. Yes, you're right. There's a lot of history behind where people have from where they've come, how they grew up, the strife they dealt with. All of that is very, very important. 
but to judge someone just like from Mike, who um, had had um, some discrimination against him because he was blind and was passed over jobs because he was blind. Um, and I know he would have told us stories about that. We have to, to not delete that, but to embrace it and understand it and make sure that we take good care of people in the future and are accepting and kind. So thank you. I know we had another caller hanging on. Michelle, who was that? It was Thomas from Baldwin. Thomas, I'm so sorry we weren't able to get to you, but feel free to email your point. I want to thank everybody and a special thank to um, Mike Duke for being with us today. Mike, thank you. You're welcome. Um, Thank you. And thanks to Michelle, and I'm not sure who our call screener was, but I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking, and that you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio.